Our Old Testament reading today is found in Proverbs 10, verses 11 and 12. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Thank you, Ruth, for that Old Testament scripture. It's good to see everyone. As most of you know, my name is Herman Armstrong. I'm a member here at the Highlands, and so welcome to all of you here this morning and joining us online. It's my great pleasure uh, to be with you all this morning to share the word of God. And there is a word from the Lord this morning, so we will go to our scripture and get right to it. This is the word of God. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received the gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Father, we thank you uh, for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to gather here in your name and worship you. We thank you for um, your grace in all the many ways you bless us. We thank you for the truth uh, that we find in your word. And so we ask at this time that you bless us, God, uh, through your word and the power of your Holy Spirit. Speak to us, encourage us, convict us, open up our understanding, illuminate um, our knowledge of the scriptures so that we might leave here um, edified, challenged, and different than whence we came. We pray all of this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Having big goals or high hopes in life can cause people to do some very odd things. Things that most people would never do. Things that some would even say are strange or peculiar. One area of life that we see this most is the field of athletics. The workouts, eating plans, and schedules that most high-profile athletes take on would be unbearable to the average person. But it's all for a purpose. Some examples of this would be those such as the fastest man alive, Usain Bolt, who during his times of training, most days will run until he has either vomited or is completely exhausted and is physically unable to go on. He pushes himself to his extreme limit. Or multi-gold medalist Michael Phelps. During his time of training, he literally spends more hours a day in the water training than out, following a workout regimen that requires eating over 12,000 calories a day. 
and even the outlandish early morning and super late night intense workouts of players like Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant are the stuff of legend, pushing themselves to the absolute limit, going above and beyond, doing things that the average person would not do. The unifying factor here is the will to do the hard thing when most people would take the easy route. Now all of this is done just for the chance to compete and for the possibility of winning and personal glory. All of this sacrifice and hard work is done to magnify oneself for the possibility of temporary glory. There's an aspect there of sacrifice for glory. Yet God calls us as his people to live in a peculiar way on a much larger scale and for a much higher purpose. Throughout Peter's first letter, he has been explaining that Christians are different. Our view of life is different than that of the world because of our identity in the Lord Jesus Christ. In contrast to the ways of the world, uh, being self-absorbed, living for oneself, living in a way that's self-promoting and idolizing oneself, we are called to live with eternity in mind and with a heart set on glorifying Christ with the totality of our lives, with all that we are. In chapter one of this letter, Peter says that we have been born again to a living hope. In our text today, he says that the end of all things is near or is at hand. This refers to living in the last stage of redemptive history. In other words, as the people of God, we know that Christ rose from the dead, so we joyfully await his return and ultimately look forward to an eternity with him in the new heaven and the new earth. That is the greatest joy and expectation and hope of our lives and what should give us motivation to press through the pains that we face on a daily basis in this world. This reality, above all others, should govern the way that you think and govern the way that you live. This knowledge should cause us to stand out from the world. We truly believe that what we do now matters for eternity. So we approach our text today with this mindset. God calling us to be different. God calling us out. God commanding us to be peculiar in contrast to the fallenness and brokenness of this world. In a hostile and depraved world, the family of God should be a safe haven, a refuge, an alternative society to the brokenness of the world. And so we approach our text today with a few points that, that address how, in fact, we as the people of God should achieve this, how we achieve living in a different manner, living in a countercultural way that seeks the purposes of God and seeks to glorify Christ instead of seeking our own glory. And so our first point uh, is to be sober-minded. Be sober-minded. 
minded from verse 7. Peter says here in our text today that as the people of God, we should be self-controlled and sober-minded. Now, these two words are translated, these two words that we see as self-controlled and sober-minded are basically synonyms in Greek in treating believers to have this idea of, of, of keeping one's head. Keep your head on straight. Uh, think clearly. Think rightly. Have an idea of where you're going. With eternity in mind, believers are called to intensely pursue a sober mind and clear thinking. The contrast here is in regards to the lifestyle of unbelievers that a few verses earlier in verse 4, Peter calls a flood of debauchery. That's how the Bible describes the lifestyle of unbelievers. A myriad of lawlessness and self-serving, idolatrous passions. Following uh, the, the, the passions of the flesh will always lead to a loss of control and, and eventually and ultimately a, a seemingly a loss of your mind because you don't control what you think. Those in the world are a slave to their own passions. They don't control their thinking. They are not sober-minded. And so the message here that Peter gives to believers is, don't do that. Don't be like that. Don't lose control of yourself. Guard your heart and mind in order to think clearly and control yourself. Guard your heart and mind. Take control of yourself. Now, what is the purpose of this? For your prayer life, we must be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of our prayers. This takes us to our first application point. In light of eternity, avoid the diversions of the world so that you can be fervent and undistracted in prayer. We all know firsthand what it feels like to be overcome by the world's distractions. There's seemingly so many that we can uh, fall prey to. Whether it's a stubborn sin or just getting caught up in temporal things like chasing status or chasing money or binging out for hours in entertainment or social media or spending too much of our mental energy and time focusing on our own problems and worrying about how we can solve them. So many things have the potential to rob our attention from God and take over our ability to think soberly and think rightly. If we're not careful, it's easy to let worldly things drown out the voice of God, either by neglecting time for prayer I'm guilty of that. I'm sure a couple other people are too because some things just seem so much more important. Or we do something just as bad as, as we go ahead and pray but with, an un, with a distracted mind. Thinking about so many other things, other things in our thought, in our, in our thought life, in our heart have priority over Jesus. And so we go to God in prayer and, and in motion, uh, but we pray with a distracted mind, making our prayers useless, and unfruitful. We've all been there. 
It's a busy week. I'll make some time on my calendar next week. I'll pray tomorrow. I'm busy today. My favorite show is on. Just DVR, record it. Not wanting to confess a sin. Nothing like an unconfessed sin to make somebody run from prayer and have no desire to go to God one-on-one. Squeezing God in when we can or not at all. And then we wonder when we do these things why we feel so disconnected from him. So the success of our prayer life is largely dependent on how well we do with avoiding diversions. Yes, we all have responsibilities to tend to in this life. There are things to do, meetings to have. We have to go to work, take care of family and pay bills and and so many things to take care of. Those things have a priority. But a heavenly mindset will cause us to regularly pursue time communing with God. A heavenly mindset will call us cause us to make time in prayer with the living God our highest priority. And so we'll put that time in our calendars with everything else. We'll make it a part of our morning routine, just like sometimes you, you may stop and say, oh, I, haven't, I haven't eaten today, or I haven't got that task done today on my to-do list. We will seek prayer out higher than that, understanding that this is what God calls us to, and it's really un, unable, we're, we're unable to survive as the people of God in this fallen world without the power that Christ bestows in us, without the instruction and encouragement that Christ bestows on us in prayer. So how's your prayer life? Don't raise your hands, rhetorical. Ask yourself, what is blocking my communion with God? What do I need to confess? What do I need to get rid of? This is what Peter is is, is writing to us about. This is what God is calling us to hear. Not just clear thinking and and sober-mindedness for sober-mindedness sake, but for the sake of our prayers. I would imagine there are some connections going on right now for some people mentally. Like maybe I can't seem to find the time to pray because I'm not making time to pray. I'm always giving myself, giving my mind, giving, my, giving myself, giving my actions to other things. And so Peter calls us in this way to be countercultural, to live in stark contrast as unbelievers, to ensure that we're thinking Clearly, we're thinking rightly, we're sober-minded, and we have control of ourselves. And so that, living in in that way, with that mindset, allows us then to pray regularly, fervently, passionately, truly, sincerely, and in an undistracted manner. And so Peter calls us to do this for the sake of our prayers. And so... Beyond thinking clearly and being sober-minded, our next point is about love. Prayers tied into love, keeping love constant. Keep love constant. After deep prayer, 
Peter exhorts the church to have deep love for each other because love covers sins. The word translated love here is the highest form, the Greek word agape, or the love of Christ. Going beyond uh, mankind or humans' ability to love, agape refers to uh, selfless love, uh, love that overextends itself beyond its responsibility, uh, gracious love, a sacrificial love. Christians, we are called to show this love to each other. Now, there's an assumption here with this call to love each other in this overextending way. There's an assumption here that we've all experienced. There are times, even in the body of Christ, there are times where people in Christ's church hurt each other very deeply. There are times where Christian brothers and sisters offend each other greatly. Christian friends, family members who are also believers or maybe somebody you attend church with. It happens. Believers, like all people, like all imperfect people, do and say things to each other uh, that hurt each other deeply and can be offensive. It's part of life. Further, there are times where a brother or sister in Christ may offend us to the point that it is impossible for us to forgive them. Or at least we feel that way. Now, the world has its way of dealing with these types of offenses. The world has a way of, of, of sort of covering sin, so to speak, or dealing with or working through problems. People apart, apart from the family of God deal with problems in this way or deal with offenses uh, by focusing on harboring anger and seeking revenge. So-and-so did this to me, and so I will never speak to him or her again. They hurt me, and so when I see them, I want to say something just as mean back to them. Well, I thought of something really mean. I'm going to say something meaner back to them. Really going to get them. This is how the world deals with offenses and hurts. Anger, seeking revenge, or pursuing false peace. Stuffing things down that will blow up at some point. Some Christian families, some churches do that so much. The tension is, is palpable. But Peter calls us to another contrast here in dealing with the offenses that we all face and endure from our Christian family. The contrast here for believers is showing the love of Christ, showing agape or keeping love constant, even in times where we offend one another deeply. Human love cannot accomplish this. Any, any attempt when you are really hurt or offended by a brother or sister in Christ on your own to just let it go or just let it slide or move past it uh, is futile. Human love cannot love in this way. Human love cannot accomplish this. Only Christ's love can. 
So here Peter calls Christians to keep not just love, but agape. Peter calls Christians to keep Christ's love constant between them. As the, as the thought, as the relational dynamic, as the way we view and see each other. We are called to keep the love of Jesus Christ constant between us as we deal and interact with each other. And this is how not just love, not just human love, but this is how Christ's love covers a multitude of sins. Next application point. This is how Christ's love covers a multitude of sins. As we deal with with each other as the people of God, as we seek to fulfill the will of God by by the church being an, an alternate society, a refuge from this harsh and hostile world, what's paramount to that is showing the love of Christ. Showing the love of Christ allows us to overlook offenses appropriately. Doing that kills bitterness and anger at the root, and it promotes unity. Now, the goal here is is using Christ's love is to not use an offense or not harbor what happened from an offense as a reason for resentment and hate. Because that's the natural thing that happens, right? Somebody hurts us and we, we seethe on that thing. We hold on to it. And even if we look fine on the outside, we're boiling inside. No, no, we seek the opposite of resentment and hate. And so the love of Christ allows us to pursue each other in the love and grace that Christ has extended to us. Now, I use the word appropriately here in that first bullet point to clarify. Covering sin is not about hiding sin. We saw that in our Old Testament reading. Um, Hiding sin or overlooking um, or excusing uh, someone's wrongdoings is, is Um, an attribute of a wicked person, uh, of an evil person. Paul even exhorts Timothy in his first letter to him to call out elders who are caught in grave sins in front of the rest of the congregation. So we're not talking about that. We're not talking about sweeping things under the rug. We're not talking about hiding things. But in this mindset of love covering sins, we pursue each other in the love and grace that Christ has extended to us. When we are offended, and it will happen, it has happened, we choose to move forward in relationships even when we'd rather not. We can't do this in our own strength. It's only when we have experienced and understood the love of Christ, and we extend that love to other people, in this context here to other believers. And so because of Christ's love, we are able to kill bitterness and anger before they spread in our heart. People do things that offend us. Maybe it was intentionally wrong. Maybe we perceived it the wrong way. doesn't matter. People do things that offend us, but we express Christ's love back toward them. It's so interesting, for years I worked as a disciplinarian in a middle school and high school setting, and I dealt so much with 
tit-for-tats and fights, whether they be physical or verbal between students. And any time an altercation took place, I always had the two or three students sit down, and I just waited, and I'd say, okay, what happened? Because I knew what was going to transpire. She said this about me. He hit me first. I don't like him. He said this about me. And I'm just watching people talk back and forth and trace back and forth because someone hurt somebody, so then I hurt them back, and it goes back to maybe one or two events. And I would talk through this with the students and to the point of, hey, if someone was mature enough to be the bigger person and overlook this offense, this offense, an entire situation, an entire fight, an entire argument or dissension could have been mitigated. This always happens, right? This is the opposite of love covering a multitude of sins. Someone offends us and we jab back at them and then they jab back at us. Sometimes us as the people of God at as mature adults, if we're not careful, if we're not guarding our hearts and minds in prayer, there are times we can be as immature as middle school children if the love of Jesus Christ isn't guarding our hearts and guarding our minds. And so it's important as the people of God that we seek to choose forgiveness. When this happens, churches don't divide into factions and cliques. No, believers grow in their love for each other and congregations become stronger and more mature. This is why even that third bullet point, Paul says in Colossians 3.14, that above all, put on love, put on agape. Jesus says, put on my love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Even in the midst of all of our faults and all of our sins and all of our brokenness, the love of Jesus Christ is so powerful. It has the power to bind us together in perfect harmony when we're seeking him and expressing that love to each other. Notice the connection here. The ability to overextend yourself in love can only come from Jesus. It is not humanly possible. So the link to experiencing and keeping Christ's love constant between believers is prayer. We keep a sober mind that allows us to be in constant communion with God, which enables us to love each other supernaturally. This is why the devil hates prayer. That just came to me. The key to loving one another earnestly is prayer. Constant, unyielding, undistracted, Christ seeking prayer that allows us to experience and understand the love of Jesus Christ. Love here is treating others in the Christian community in such a way as to promote unity and overcome behaviors that destroy relationships. Love here is treating others in our Christian community in such a way uh, that promotes unity and overcomes behaviors that destroy relationships. I believe this is an especially apt message after all the division we've seen in the world and even in the church over the last year, dealing with politics and the pandemic. I'll drop those two bombs right there. People 
and churches are splitting over views on areas like this. And it's just sad. <laughs> Going beyond simple disagreements, believers, people of God, breaking fellowship with each other, people not speaking to each other, churches splitting over things that may be important. But what unites us, our status in Jesus Christ, being born again to a living hope, is truly greater than anything that divides us. So what offenses are you holding on to? It could be something from decades ago, from your family of origin. It could be something somebody did here in church last week. Don't point at anybody. Ask yourself, what do I need to do to keep loving so-and-so? Even though I don't really want to, but I know Christ calls me to. Who are you harboring bitterness toward? I wrestled with this so much over the course of this week. The Lord brought people to my mind that I am actively, fervently asking for the love and grace of Christ to move forward in relationship with them. Who are you harboring bitterness toward? Take this to God in prayer. There's something about truly experiencing God's love that changes us. Even when, especially when, the person doesn't deserve it. Because when we've truly understood the love of Christ, we know that we don't deserve it either. This is why 1 John 4.20 says that if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. Truly understanding and experiencing the love of Christ will compel you to pass that love on to other people. It is impossible to be a true born-again believer, truly experience Christ's love at a deep level, and hold on to anger and bitterness with no conviction. Christ's love compels us to follow his lead and love other people with his love. It is a miraculous thing. And so our third point, agape in action, or love in action. So this love is to be expressed in practical ways. We go beyond uh, simply saying that we love each other as a family of God, but our, our actions should reveal the true conditions of our hearts. So the proof that believers are living in this countercultural way is simply how we treat each other. Not that we say we've let go of something, not that we say we've forgiven so-and-so, but how we treat one another. That's the mark of love. That's the mark of a mature believer. That's the mark of a mature church. If we are truly praying fervently to Jesus Christ and pursuing one another in his love, it will show in our Christian relationships and in our Christian communities. A third application point. Our love for each other is proven through our attitude, our words, and our actions. Peter addresses th these three main areas, showing hospitality to one another. In the first century, Christians relied on each other for housing and shelter, especially traveling missionaries, and churches often met in the homes, 
someone who was willing to offer their home to the rest of the Christian community. Although those specific needs are less prevalent, it is just as important for believers uh, to have the same level of open-heartedness to one another. You may not have to open your heart, open your house uh, to someone, but you do have to open your heart to other believers. An attitude that desires to be hospitable, one that may be happy to open your home or your wallet or give of your time to serve each other cheerfully. The key there is not, not, no grumbling, not begrudgingly. When Christ has really worked on your heart and changed your heart, you can move forward with relationships and love people with an attitude that isn't grudging because Christ's love has and is transforming you. This attitude is further expressed in what we say, oracles, and what we do, serving. Words and actions summarize all the ways that believers can support each other. When we speak oracles or simply the word of God, going beyond preaching, anytime believers speak Christian truth to each other, when we speak the word to each other, we must remember that we are speaking uh, the very words of God. We should cheerfully pass that on because it comes from God. When we are able to serve another believer in some way, we must remember that God is the one who supplies our ability to do so. When we are transformed by what God says to us and what God does for us, we want to pass that on to other people. And so as the family of God, we are ministering to each other on behalf of Jesus Christ. And all of our strength and all of our power to do so comes from him. Not only does he call us to live this way, but thankfully, he enables us to live this way as well. And as Peter ends this text, he says, this is all for the glory of God. Peter can't help here but break out in a doxology of praise. We live in a harsh and hostile world, increasingly hostile to Christians. So our motivation to live differently than the world should come from knowing where we are headed. Do you believe that you have a future and a hope in eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ? Life, even life now with other believers, can be hard, but we need to support each other, even when it's hard. The church is to be a safe haven from the world. Keep trusting God. Keep praying. Keep pursuing and serving each other in his love, in the love of Christ. Christ is the one who prompts these actions and brings them to fruition. He doesn't just call us to do it. He enables us to do so. If we truly believe this, if we truly believe that we are born again to a living hope and we know where we are headed, our lives should be marked with deep prayer, steadfast love, even when we don't want to do that, and serving one another with the strength that only Christ himself can supply. We don't seek temporary glory for ourselves. We live for his glory and his glory alone. We choose to go against the grain 
and live in this way because we know that his is the glory and dominion forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, how grateful we are for the truth of your word. Thank you, God, for instructing us and enabling us uh, to live in this harsh and hostile world. Give us the strength, God, to continue to pursue uh, clear thinking so that we can pray in an undistracted way. Help us to connect with you, God, so that we can love each other even when it's hard. Give us the strength, the attitude, the mindset to pursue each other, not in our own strength, but in your love and in your grace. Help us leave here today, God. Um, Stir it up to live for your glory because yours truly is uh, the glory and the dominion forever. Amen.